The following is a sermon from the Vicar and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Our sermon text for this morning comes from Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a cat, fashioning it with a tool, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it, and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, so that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, Why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. For the last two years while I've been at seminary, I had, I had a job that I'd go to every afternoon, and it was working at an after-school care program at a local, at a local grade school. And, and I loved this job because after a long day of morning of studying Greek and Hebrew, it was a nice little mental break to go and play kickball with kids. And, and we watched, we, we were in charge of kids all the way from like before preschool, so like three or four-year-olds all the way up to eighth graders. And depending on the day, we'd be in a different classroom. And and some of the most eventful days on that job were the days that we were watching those little kids. And and 
I remember one day in particular, it, it was really cold out and it had been for a couple of days. So we couldn't go out on the playground. So they had to spend all day in the art room. And, and eventually this got old for some of these preschoolers because they had lots of rules. Like they weren't allowed to use paints. They weren't allowed to use scissors, but all the other kids could. So it was kind of hard for them. So this one little boy, he comes up to me and he says, Mr. Schlomer, I'm so bored. And I was like, all right, I'm going to be the cool teacher. All right, you, I'm going to let you look. We can play with paints and, and I'll even let you use the scissors if you're super careful, but, but you can't make a mess. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. So he grabs his paints and he bound and he jumps away to go to work on his masterpiece. And, and I, had to, I had to help another kid. So I turned my back on him for maybe like two minutes. And, and when I looked back, I was in shock that this kid had taken the paints, the bottles of paints, and instead of putting it on like a tray, he had just sprayed it all over his paper and then kind of smeared it around the table. And then to decorate this, he took a sheet of paper and as tiny as he could, cut up little pieces of paper and sprinkled it on the top. And, and when, I, when I saw this, I said, Simon, what are you doing? You made a mess, why'd you do this? And he said, and he looked at his art for a while. Then he looked at me, he said, I don't know. I, I was kind of bored and it was fun, which, which made sense. And that's why he had made this mess. And, and today in our text, we see Israel has made a pretty big mess. They, they turn away from God and, and worship a golden calf. And, and it's interesting to look at, at why, why, why they did this, because it's one of the cl clearest and, and most infamous cases of idolatry that we have in the Bible. And, and Israel did it, I think, because they were bored and it seemed like fun, kind of like that preschooler. But, but I think this text is important and, and we get this warning against idolatry that God gives us because we might not recognize our idols as, the, as these big golden calves in our life, but, but they're there. And God, in his word this morning, gives us a mountaintop view of, of our hearts and a mountaintop view of idolatry. And actually, in this text, we get three different points of view of idolatry. We have the Israelites who are at the bottom of Mount Sinai, who, who saw idolatry as something fun and, and a way to entertain themselves. Then we get God's point of view from the top of the mountain, where he saw their idolatry for rebellion. And then we get to see what idolatry looks like through our mediator. So the Israelites had, had become bored and, and were growing kind of impatient. We, I think it's easy to, to look at the story of, of the golden calf. And, and at first, and this always happens to me when I read through it, and I go, how could the Israelites have turned their back on God so quickly and in such a blatant way? Because Moses was up on Mount Sinai, receiving the, God's commands for his people. The Israelites camped at the bottom of the mountain, could see the smoke and the clouds surrounding the mountain where God was. But at the foot of that very same mountain is where Israel turned their backs on God. And I think it was because they were bored. Because we hear, in, that might sound a little silly at first, but we hear in this text, that the Israelites are waiting at the bottom of this mountain, just waiting and waiting for Moses to come back down. And they don't think that he's coming back. And they're camped in the middle of a desert with nothing to do. 
to, to put it simply, I think they just got kind of bored. And, and so the Israelites quickly find a way to entertain themselves. They, they tell Aaron, make us a God that we can worship. And, and, so, and so Aaron does. And, and the Israelites quickly turn away from the God who actually brought them out of Egypt, the God whose presence they could see on the mountain and worship a golden calf instead. And it's interesting to see how they go about worshiping their, their new God. Because at first they, they offer sacrifices, which, which is how people worship gods at that time. But, but then, they, then they eat and they drink and really they just have a big party. This idolatry was fun. It gave them something to do. It was a way to entertain themselves. They finally had a purpose of something to do. But in pursuit of this thing to entertain themselves, they had turned their backs on God. So, so today, this morning, I, I want to ask you a question. What do you do when you're bored? And I want you to think about that for a little bit. What do you do when you're bored? I'm just going to guess that, that none of you answered that question in your head by saying, well, when I'm bored, I love to make a golden calf in my living room and then dance around it. But, but I think that if we look at this story of the Israelites and, and think, well, that, that, could never, that could never happen to me, we're, we're making a big mistake. Because I think that one of the ways that we can kind of identify the, the idolatry that, that creeps into our hearts is by looking at what we turn to to find comfort or joy when, when we're bored or feel alone or, or feel sad. I know for me, when, I, when I'm bored, one of the things I think I do the most, which I think a lot of people do nowadays, is, is you pull out your phone and, and look at something when you have nothing to do. That's something you can do. And, and it's, it's kind of interesting when you see, like, on the phones today, you can see, first of all, how much time you spent on there, and then, and then exactly what, how you've spent all your time, which apps you're using. So, so maybe, it's, maybe it's checking social media, maybe it's keeping up on the news, or maybe it's even just playing a game. And, and none of these things, uh, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. But, but it kind of, it begs the question, what, what do you do when you're bored? Are, are, you, are you looking at your phone? Are you, are you, are you daydreaming about something? Or, or is your first thought when you're bored, how can I serve God in this moment? And a lot of those things seem harmless and fun. And it's because a lot of times that they are, but but idolatry isn't just the love of, of a bad thing, like, like a golden calf. It's easy to see how, yeah, that's bad. The Israelites should not have been worshiping a golden calf. But idolatry can also take place in our hearts when we love good things too much. See, Israel thought that their idolatry was, was a great idea. It gave them a sense of purpose. It gave them joy. It gave them something to do. And I think that that's when idolatry can happen in our hearts, when we're looking for something to find fulfillment in, to looking for joy in a place other than in God and his word. So I think that, I think maybe they can be, our idols, our idols become really apparent for us when, when we look at our lives and, and look at those things that when we feel sad and we feel alone, where are we finding joy? Where are we finding comfort? Is the first thing that we do, go to God in prayer, or is it 
pull out your phone and, and then scroll through Facebook. And I'm not standing up here saying Facebook is evil, phones are evil, no good Christian should have either of those. But, but I, think, I think just like the Israelites, the idolatry can seem kind of fun and harmless. But, but God sees our idolatry for what it really is. And, and we get that second point of view from my, of idolatry in our text. It, it's kind of interesting. We have two scenes going on at the same time. You have the Israelites worshiping a golden calf down at the foot of Mount Sinai. And up on the mountain, we get to hear this conversation between God and Moses. And, and here we come face to face with God's holy anger against the Israelites. We come face to face with our just God who punishes sin. Because listen to what he says to Moses. I have seen these people. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. God is ready to wipe the Israelites off the face of the earth for, because they turned their back on him. And, and maybe, maybe you could say like, well, well the Israelites, they, they hadn't really gotten the Ten Commandments yet, but I think they should have known that, that worshiping a God, that there was only one God that they should worship because they had seen the God, the God of Mount Sinai was the same God that had delivered them out of Egypt, the, the same God that, that had parted the Red Sea, the same God that every day in the desert provided them with food and drink. But instead of worshiping the almighty God that saves, they decided to worship an empty piece of metal. And God saw their idolatry for what it was. It was that rebellion, that, that turning their backs on him. And that's the same way that God sees the idolatry in, in our hearts. God in, this, in, this, in these verses, God calls the Israelites a, a stiff-necked people. And, and I think this term gives such a vivid image for, for what idolatry can look like. If, if you imagine like a big animal, I was thinking of like, like a cow or something. And if you ever worked with animals, you can pull and pull, but if they don't want to turn their head, they're not going to. And, and that's kind of the image we have with, with idolatry. That's exactly the image we have here with idolatry. God, the Israelites had seen God save them. They had seen his salvation. But instead, they turned their heads towards a golden calf and, and stiffened their necks. And I'm not sure that we're all that different from the Israelites. Because while we may not be looking at, at, at Mount Sinai and seeing clouds and smoke, we, we have the Bible that's filled with that incredible gospel message, a message that provides a true source of genuine peace and genuine comfort. But, but at times when, 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 problem, when we feel bored or, or we feel upset or, or we need something to distract ourselves, we turn to other things besides God's word. And we can turn our backs on God. And, and just like the Israelites, we deserve God's burning anger. But God didn't wipe out the Israelites for their idolatry. And, and God doesn't punish us and wipe us out for ours either. Because while in this text we see clearly our, our God is a God of justice 
and, and, and judgment, we also see God's incredible mercy. And, and Moses is in a really interesting place in this text. So while the Israelites are down there worshiping a calf, Moses gets to see God's reaction. And he gets to hear what God is planning to do. But, but Moses puts himself between God and the Israelites and, and prays for the Israelites. He, he calls on God's, on God's saving power, the God who brought them out of Egypt. He, he calls on God's promises and God's mercy, the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that, that one day the Savior would come through, through this people. All of this is taking place while the Israelites are completely clueless that they are about to be wiped out. But Moses stands there as a mediator before God and pleads for his people. And, and because, because Moses, and Moses does this and prays to God, and God, in his mercy, relents and doesn't destroy the Israelites. And, and because of our great mediator, because of Jesus, God doesn't punish us for our sin. Because it really is hard to look at this scene of, of Moses interceding for the Israelites and not think of our great mediator, to not think of Jesus. Because Jesus pleads our case before God. But, but Jesus is so much better of a mediator than, than Moses is. While, while Moses calls on the promises of God's salvation, Jesus fulfilled God's promise of salvation. He came down to earth and in our place as our mediator suffered God's burning anger. He, suffered, he faced that burning anger in full force when he was on the cross. And, and for all the, the times idolatry has crept into our hearts, for all the times that, 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 that we daily turn our back on God in sin, God turned his back on his one and only son. It's why you hear Jesus in that ultimate moment of pain and suffering on the cross cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus suffered the punishment that we deserve. And, and he did it for us because he, knew, because he knew just like the Israelites were down on that mountain worshiping a golden calf, clueless of what was going on, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was because of his great love that he served as our mediator. And, and his, his mediatorial, mediatorial work isn't done because Jesus rose again from the dead and now he's seated at the right hand of God where he pleads our case before God. And God, when he looks at us now, he, he doesn't see that mess in our hearts, that mess of idolatry because he looks and sees his perfect son and he sees us as his dear children. And so it's because of our great mediator that we are able to worship God with our whole heart. It's, it's how we're able to look at our lives and, and see the idolatry in our hearts and, or see the idols that, that we build up in our hearts and turn away from them. Because God is so much better than, than any idol that we can make in our life. He is our saving God who, who loved us enough to send his own son, 
who now doesn't look at our hearts and only see a mess. He looks at us and sees his dearly beloved children who have been washed in the blood of Jesus, our great mediator. Amen.